And there we go. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Welcome to VUX World. I'm your host, Kane Sims, with a cold and not COVID, thankfully. Um, I overdid it last week on Wednesday. I had a sore throat and I ended up doing from 12 p.m. till 7 p.m. solid mixture of workshop podcast and calls which did this to my voice this isn't even the 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 worst part of it it was a lot worse than this uh but we're here we're back my voice is back and so i'm dying to get into this conversation with genesis we've got hashali desai who is the senior product marketing manager at genesis and mitch mason who is also a product manager at genesis and uh, we're going to be talking all about conversational ai and knowledge management which is um i'm sure we'll learn today one of the missing links i think in plenty of implementations is the lack of content the lack of business knowledge uh and so that's what makes bots dumb sometimes is not having that so we're going to be talking about all about how to configure your knowledge management platforms how to make the knowledge and the information that your business has suitable for conversational ai consumption all of the challenges and learnings and lessons and insights that you need to do this successfully with the genesis team in just one moment but before we do that i want to tell you about the voice summit which is coming up vux at voice 22 it is the one-stop shop for all of your contact center automation needs it's an in-person event at the voice summit in arlington the event itself goes from October the 10th over uh, through to uh, October the 12th. And on October the 11th, VUX World is doing its own conference, its own thing, part of the event. We've got a whole day of programming. We've got Core AI. The whole event is presented by Core AI. We've got Vonage. We've got Ericsson. We have uh, Cognigy, AICRA, Speakeasy, uh, Poly AI, all sharing case studies and bringing clients along with them, sharing the tricks of the trade of how they've automated their contact centers and customer experience and how you can do exactly the same. So if you go to voicesummit.ai and use the promo code VUX20, you'll save 20% on your tickets you can see the agenda there you can see the full breakdown and it's going to be absolutely immense we've got a number of events happening as well uh at the time uh during the course of that um of that session uh, of that day uh on tuesday night we're going to be doing a networking event as well so it's gonna be absolutely immense voice summit.ai and uh lastly we're doing a webinar with uh, raza next week and that webinar is going to be all about uh chatbot optimization raza are bringing a case study of a large financial client how they launched the chatbot it wasn't very good and uh, they've made it better using conversation-driven development. We're going to be getting into how they conducted an audit of the current performance, how they realized what to prioritize in making improvements to the to the language model, and how they measured the results, and how you can do the exact same for your chatbots, because a lot of chatbots that go live don't serve their purpose initially, and so improving them over time is absolutely part of the course, and we're going to teach you how to do that. Go to vux.world forward slash events to sign up and register for that one. Okay, now then, on with the show today. I'd like to welcome, uh, remove the pin from me and let you guys uh, share the stage. Hello, Mitch. Hello, Hashali. Hello. Hello, thanks for having us. Thank you for being here. Thank you for bearing with me during that uh, that introductory uh, ramble there. We've got a lot going on at the moment, so thank you for bearing with us. And I'm glad that you can join us. Uh, definitely excited. We've, we've had Genesis on the show once before. We had Elsonora Martinez uh, sharing uh, lots of information about the Genesis conversation, AI capabilities and the philosophies and things like that. So I'm, I'm excited today to take it kind of, I suppose, a level a level deeper and getting into some of the kind of, you know, some of the solutions you've been working on and definitely kind of getting into the whole knowledge management topic, which I think is is underserved in this uh, in this sector at the moment. Um, but first, 
be lovely to to do some introductions and, and hear a little bit about about yourselves uh, and and what you've kind of been up to at Genesis. So maybe Sashali, we'll start with yourself. Uh, tell us a bit about yourself and, and what you do at Genesis. Um, hello, and thank you for having me here. Um, so I am a product manager in Genesis, uh, and I look at knowledge management. So what that means is uh, creating, managing knowledge, getting that surface into different touch points, um, and then having um, it surfaced uh, using AI to get that optimized. Um, so that end-to-end cycle is, is what I look at um, in Genesis. Nice. That sounds good. Mitch, what about yourself? I am a product manager on all things bots, so both voice and digital bots, building out the flows, uh, deploying them, and then obviously connecting to knowledge is a big part of that world as well. Nice, nice. And um, why is it, do you think, that I mentioned that at the beginning there, knowledge management, uh, for me at least, I don't know if it's the same is true for you to working in this sort of like often, but the whole knowledge management topic seems to be something that isn't always spoken about that often when it comes to conversational AI. I think a lot of businesses that build, you know, chatbots and digital assistants, they tend to kind of, they'll hard code a lot of this stuff or they will, um, you know, they'll have uh, signposting people to web pages and things like that, which I suppose is technically knowledge management, but I'm sure there's a lot more sophisticated ways that you can do this. I wonder if we can share us a little about your thoughts on where is people's understanding about the role that knowledge management plays in conversational AI and automation initiatives at the moment, do you think, Hashali? Well, typically, uh, when we look at knowledge and the kind of investment that goes, um, there is sort of like a sporadic investment. So you invest once, bring about a good knowledge base. Um, and then after that, you sort of leave it for it to um, you know, get the ROI. Um, and that's one of the areas where um, your enterprises sort of missed that bus of the ROI um, because knowledge needs to be constantly updated, taken care of. Um, it has to be optimized for the right channel. It has to be personalized to that specific user. Um, and that's where the whole topic of uh, knowledge management, if it's not strategically um, managed, uh, gets difficult for enterprises to jump on. Mm. What are some of the strategic arguments for investing in knowledge management? So if you look at knowledge, um, if you build knowledge within uh, an organization, it can be used in different ways and by different people. So you have to create um, sort of a knowledge um, repository or a bank um, and then have that surface to different kinds of users. So for example, agents can use knowledge, um, customers can self-serve using knowledge, uh, and that brings in a lot of benefits. However, um, what knowledge needs to be um, sort of accounted for is, okay, we are bringing this knowledge to bots. What's the best way to bring that knowledge into bots? Or what's the best way an advisor um, or an agent can use that knowledge in the most effective um, manner? Um, so I would say that knowledge is is good um, to implement, but it's also uh, something that needs to be managed constantly um, and taken care of. Mm. It's interesting. So when you're talking about knowledge, as I mentioned, a lot of the the kind of digital assistants that I've kind of seen and worked with, they've had a lot of that knowledge kind of hard-coded. So yeah. if somebody asks about, I don't know, return policies, or if they ask about... Um, 
details about products, you know, you know, anything that they could ask a question that's not transactional that needs a, a kind of answer. Mm-hmm. A lot of that ends up being hard coded into the bot and into the kind of um, the whole architecture of the bot, really, which means that depending on how it's built, there's issues with maintaining that because only certain people can maintain it if it's kind of like hard coded and stuff like that. And then uh, there's a communication breakdown because if something does need to be changed or updated, the business has to remember to go and speak to the team that run the bot <laughs> to make mm-hmm. sure that things are kind of managed and stuff like that. So I'm wondering like some of these benefits of having knowledge management taken care of centrally and strategically seem kind of obvious, but I wonder whether there's, you know, some light you can shed on some of the other benefits perhaps of, of having a, a proper knowledge management sort of strategy for want of a better word. Yeah. So one of the things that we always say at Genesis is knowledge is a team effort. So it's not just the knowledge author or the content creator uh, creating that knowledge and putting it out there, but it's also the back and forth between the consumers um, and the creators of knowledge that makes that um, that really key. So for example, um, if you are putting in um, some knowledge out there um, and uh, let's say it's about discounts um, and discounts sort of go from say 5% to 20%. So in a minute, your knowledge is outdated. Mm. So that feedback mechanism of um, getting that understanding from agents back um, and also uh, use of AI to know um, where that um, is not hitting the right chord uh, and where to make that update. Uh, that's the place where an overall um, knowledge management um, effort uh, is required. It's not just the creation. It's that entire uh, life cycle. Mm. Interesting. And what constitutes the knowledge that it was within a knowledge management sort of system and strategy. Like you mentioned their discounts. Um, you, there's, there's knowledge about, you know, pros, pros, business processes, for example, mm-hmm. what is the process for someone making, making a complaint to the business? What's the process for, for returns? What's the process for um, making a claim on your insurance or starting to withdraw some funds from your pension or every kind of customer interaction has some business process behind it. And I don't know whether it's just me who's dealt with, um, you know, poorly organized organizations, but sometimes those business processes themselves are just in the heads of certain individuals. And the mm-hmm. person you speak to in the contact said, oh, I don't know about that. I have to speak to my supervisor. And so they have to go different places to get access to not knowledge in the sense of here's some product information or knowledge in a sense of here's our returns policy or whatever it might be, but just business knowledge in general about some things that are often not kind of documented. What things do you constitute as, as being included within that kind of knowledge management piece? Is it as much as business processes and that kind of stuff? Or are you talking more about, I suppose, content for, for want of a better word? Um, well, knowledge is broad, um, and it also depends on the use cases that knowledge is being used for. So there are different kinds of use cases. One is, um, you know, in the internet um, environment, you're trying to give um, information to your employees. Uh, another is sort of a more, um, if the customers are coming to your website, you want to engage them. But to gain a deeper engagement, now you bring them towards bots and you start start sort of nudging them. So that's the sort of uh, a pipeline that you try to achieve with knowledge. And then the third kind of, of knowledge is you, you have a lot of products 
Um, think about uh, an organization like IKEA. There's a lot of products in there and you want to put in product guides and, and manuals. Um, so knowledge is, is broad um, and it's, it's the way you use that use case um, is what constitutes knowledge. But I would say um, we can go one step further and say knowledge is not just that content information, but the metadata that's associated with it. So for example, who is the expert um, that knows this knowledge so that if the agent wants some more information, they can contact them? Um, or knowledge is also uh, what part of the customer journey did the um, customer engage with a piece of knowledge? Uh, and if they've sort of know this, then what else can we give? So it's, it's that whole um, ecosystem that constitutes knowledge beyond the content. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting, yeah. And, and so... When we hear, I mean, we hear the term knowledge a lot mm -hmm. and we hear things like knowledge graphs. We hear things like knowledge management and this kind of thing. Um, when, and, and I suppose that that's kind of, when you look at some of the conversational AI systems that use, um, you know, like ontologies and, and various ways of mapping and relating language together, mm -hmm. I suppose that's a form of knowledge is that you're kind of understanding which kind of um, words semantically, uh, how, how they sound semantically, how they group together with different sound, with, with similar words to form sentences. And so, like that. so in, in your world, working on, on knowledge management within enterprises, do you build things like knowledge graphs that, that show the relationship between different segments and things like that? Or is it more a case of, um, you know, I don't know how, how to describe it really. Like, I'm trying to get to what does it what does it look like first before before Mitch we get to Mitch and he's talking about how we integrate and all that kind of stuff. Like, how how would it be represented? Like, what is it? What are we looking at? Is it is it a knowledge graph of some description? Is it pages within something like a CMS with content in it? Like, how would you describe how a user would interact with this knowledge kind of management uh, process? I would say the right philosophy is to make it as easy for a knowledge creator to create knowledge, um, whereas um, for someone who is trying to optimize that knowledge and try to make sense of that knowledge, uh, bring in another sort of view for them. So these are the two sets of users, the creators and the optimizers people who optimize knowledge. Um, and I would say these are the two buckets that you put it in. Now, when you talk about knowledge graphs, it's, it's generally interconnection of that knowledge and the way we build that interconnection between different pieces of information. So knowledge and knowledge, knowledge and metadata and metadata and metadata. So you bring all of that information together, but it still has to be simple enough and actionable enough for a knowledge creator who's not a data scientist um, and someone who's optimizing knowledge who's in a lot of cases also not a data scientist. So even though you have those graphs and interconnected knowledge that um, the, the term that we use, uh, it's still a simplified view of what's the next step that you need to take. Right. Interesting. And how then, Mitch, when it comes to using this repository of knowledge that the business is creating and continually updating what i wonder if you can give us an, maybe an example first of all of some kind of conversational interface where you've needed to integrate with some of this stuff yeah i think there's a couple ways you might do it um some companies in the market ask you to you know either just rely on it as a fallback mechanism so it'll look through all of the things you have hard-coded 
you spent a lot of time and care making, you know, making sure you have the perfect intense. The flow is a great conversation, but it doesn't scale, right? You have to answer hundreds or, or thousands of questions. Um, so you kind of do your top, whatever percentage, typically it's like an 80-20 rule, but typically around there in your flows and everything else can go to knowledge. Or I, I think the market is starting to level up and say, let's put an engine actually in front of both of these, in front of both flows and knowledge to say, I will decide. I'll use some kind of AI behind the scenes to decide, is this a question for a flow or is this a question for knowledge and go from there. And it's it's really starting to get smarter and smarter each time. So you don't actually have to configure anything. You just connect the two and something behind the scenes. I'm sure everyone uses something a little bit different. will make that decision for you. Um, at Genesis, we have some ways you can bias. You know, I've spent a lot more time on my knowledge. So try and go there first. Or I spent a lot more time on my flows, and I know those are actually more conversational, so go there first. Um, you, you can add some weights, but you really want to let something that's there involved in the conversation at runtime make those decisions. Mm. Uh, another paradigm for using knowledge is kind of what we talked about earlier, where some people don't always have the skills or really the experience. It's usually they just haven't gone through the learning process of how to build the flows. So they just want to write content. Right, they want to write content every day, and that, that's what their real skill set is. You can actually just build out a flow that points to a piece of knowledge. So you're separating those two roles uh, for people who are best suited for each of them. Um, someone can collect all of the different entities and fill slots and get to the final stage and then just say, show whatever's in this knowledge article um, to kind of keep that, that core bulky content out of the flow builder so each person can focus uh, that obviously has some up and downsides, right? Each one has a trade-off. So I think the content can really live wherever you want. You have all the tools. Now, who are your craftsmen? Um, and they can kind of pick where they want it to live. Hmm. I suppose one of the reasons for hard coding um, certain knowledge and information is that it can make it more contextual, can't it, for the for the customer? So those examples, that, or one of the examples that you give there is, if you can recognize the right kind of intent, identify entities, et cetera, and you can identify the piece of content that somebody is searching for, you can serve them that content, which is which is a good end result because it gives you gives the user what they were looking for. That would be more like, um, I could imagine that being very useful for a, a, a website search. I'd be, I could see that being useful for kind of like a first stage chatbot that's there to, to get people, samples people to the right direction. But then when you start getting into kind of real conversational back and forths where an article of content isn't going to be digestible in a chat widget, or if, if it's if it's something for the contact center, for example, or a voice assistant, you're not going to just sit there and listen to four and a half minutes worth of an article being kind of read back to you. It all becomes really hyper-contextualized. And so I can kind of see why some of the voice assistant um you know, some of the voice systems might have this knowledge kind of hard coded. I'm wondering whether have you noticed or observed any changes in the way that these kind of like knowledge management systems structure and and house content to make things easier for conversational consumption, regardless of the channel. I don't know if there's been any any kind of recent developments on that front that will allow you to, you know break content down into its itemized pieces to then be able to serve more contextual pieces rather than the whole thing at once, if that makes sense. I, I do think a lot of people are still hard coding things when it is very like hyper contextual to the question they asked. 
But most knowledge management systems, including ours, have ways to categorize and tag things. What you can do with that, that labeling is really kind of up to you. Some of it's custom, some of it's still coming. Um, but that might say, you know, this article goes on to voice. This article should never be shown on voice because I know it has a bunch of pictures in it, right? It's an instruction manual. Ikea wouldn't do very well over the phone, right? But visually, there's nothing easier, right? It's it's perfect for that, for that medium. Um, so you, you also may use something to transfer channels, to send an SMS, to send an email, even if you're over the phone, you know this content isn't suitable for a voice-only channel. So how can we make sure that the end user can still get that content uh, in a digestible way without, you know, giving them too much of a headache to get there? They don't have to they don't have to log into the website and start over. You can send them right to where they were. Uh, you can just make something pop up right in there, typically SMS if you know their phone number, things like that based on those labels of that content. One of the things that um, you know, I've seen and what we're working at Genesis as well is also helping. So help the knowledge authors say, this is the content that you've put in. You've said that this is for a voice bot. Well, but it has so many word counts or it has links. Um, so, so sort of like helping the knowledge author as they create this knowledge saying, this is what you should do for a voice bot versus this is what you should do for a website. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. I imagine it's it's kind of like, if you think about the maturity of organizations, um, you'll have some organizations that are not really very good at knowledge management, full stop. <laughs> which I'm sure you come across quite a lot. Um, and then you've got knowledge, you've got compounding that issue. You've got organizations that are trying to create conversational assistance and the lack of, of maturity on the knowledge management front means that you have to hard code everything into your chatbot. Whereas if you were going to properly think about your information and document that and make it accessible in the right kind of way, it gives you the ability not just to surface content for your, for your conversational interfaces, but also into your website, into your app, through email and all these other kind of places. So I'm wondering whether there is any, you know, I would say maybe it's like core challenges, so to speak, when you're working with an organization that's not very mature as far as knowledge management is concerned. And you can see all of these possibilities about how they can use information and knowledge in their organization. What are some of those early challenges that companies face when they when they want to start getting a handle on this? I think the biggest one is a lot of companies will see that bigger vision. They'll see how great all of this can permeate through all these different avenues and parts of their business. And they can easily want to, and for all the right reasons, bite off more than they can really chew. And the project can very quickly stall because you're trying to get this team to, to give you buy-in. You know, this other team needs to come do something for you or you need to do something for them. And you kind of just get stuck at every turn. So I've found you'll find a lot more success as a customer if you do find, you know, a very narrow place to start, find success there, learn the products, learn the process. Uh, and then as you see success, the whole equation flips, right? Now these other teams are saying we want in and you get more people coming to you as that core business unit than, than you can possibly serve. So the whole, the whole thing gets flipped on its head when you find success once. And that just opens all the doors. It makes everything a lot easier. Whereas if you haven't done anything with a proven track record, you can very quickly get stonewalled by someone saying, yeah, we'll add it to our backlog and we'll prioritize this for you, you know, when we see fit, which is 
honestly the product manager's way of saying we're not doing that <laughs> um it, it may get done but a lot of times it, it requires a lot more pushing and and negotiating than it maybe should um so really making sure that you can start quickly and find a couple wins that'll open up all the doors for you mm. what do you think hashali any any other kind of common challenges that you've observed I completely agree with the the challenges that um, Mitt said, and also, you know, how do you go about it? Um, one of the things, one of the other things that I also see is uh, knowledge is sort of viewed from a project to project basis um, instead of it being a an enterprise asset that can be reused. Um, so. Uh, even at the beginning, if you know when you're looking at simple FAQ, uh, say chatbots, um, if you're looking at it from an asset perspective that eventually can be reused in the future uh, for an agent or for a website, um, that's the you know the right way to to sort of look at um, knowledge from a medium to long term um, strategy. Mm. And would you class? Would you class like? content management systems as knowledge management systems or is there fundamentally something different that needs to happen when you want to start kind of organizing your company's knowledge and making sure that every piece of knowledge has got the appropriate metadata of you as you've mentioned relating it all together in ways that it needs to be is there a difference between knowledge management and content management it's a very um broad industry okay knowledge is a very broad industry so it is the use case. So um, for Genesis, the use case is you know, self-service or agent help. Um, and for that, um, the entire journey of the customer, what segment that they are from, where they came from, where are they going from here, um, where is the knowledge going to be surfaced, not just you know, whether it's bot or it's agent, but what channel is it? Is it WhatsApp? Is it Instagram? Um, that's um, something that um, you know, needs to be looked at. Um, so I would say c content management and knowledge management can be the same thing uh, when you look at a use case like a help center, because then now you're on a website and there's a specific way you're, you're wanting to handle it. Um, Whereas uh, knowledge management for bots is, is different. Uh, whereas at Genesis, what we're trying to do is we know it's your knowledge and you're trying to use it for different use cases. We'll try to take in that knowledge. You can also build some of it uh, and we'll help you figure it out for, for different kinds of, of use cases. Mm. <clears throat> I suppose a, a lot of companies... Um, a while back, and I don't think it's permeated as much as I thought it would because it seems like a no-brainer to me. But a lot were moving towards these kind of like headless CMS systems, weren't there, where the website is just designed, but then every web page uses an API to pull content into it, which means that, you know, your content sits independently of channel, which means that if you want to put it into your app or onto your website or into a chat or whatever, it's an API call away. And so it's stored in a separate kind of place. And then once it's there, you can then manipulate it. You can do all these, all different things around creating relationships and stuff like that and tags and whatnot. Um, is that kind of roughly speaking the philosophy for knowledge management as well? Or have I, am I missing something there? Um, I agree. Um, it's so when it comes to what we are doing at Genesis, we're calling it knowledge experience orchestration. So it's knowledge, which is content, 
But now you have to design the experience uh, and you also have to orchestrate the journey based on, on those experiences. So I would say I agree in terms of uh, what you said about content and you know using APIs uh, to surface that content, uh, but it has to be part of an integrated ecosystem uh, that will take in knowledge, take in any information of the customer, uh, and then serve experiences, optimize and personalize them uh, based on what they want at the moment. So the example that uh, Mitt spoke about, right? Um, let's say it's a simple question that the customer had and you go and, and look at um, a help center. Um, and the answer there is generic. But now you want to dig a little bit deeper and the customer has more questions and they want to know what's their specific um, you know, knowledge or content. And that's where a bot can come in. And then let's say it's now... Um, you know, a very specific uh, scenario that a bot cannot serve. Now an agent comes in and now you're back to knowledge because the knowledge has to be served to an agent to answer that question. Um, so that's how, where I would put it, the knowledge experience orchestration. Mm, nice term. I like that. Um, and do you have anything specific um, on the natural language processing side in front of any of this stuff? Or do you approach um, creating conversational assistance in the exact same way as you would do, you know, using the Genesis kind of conversational AI platform and, and your NLU and stuff like that? Um, or, or do you have layers on top of these these kind of knowledge bases and knowledge graphs that that allow you to, you know, more accurately surface the right content in the right kind of places? I wonder if you can talk about how, how does it link bet between that and the conversational sort of front end sort of thing? Mm -hmm. the, the, yeah. If, um, okay, so I'll talk about knowledge side. I'm sure, um, Mitch, you also have thoughts on this. So, from the um, your knowledge perspective, there is um, one understanding what your articles are um, and what kind of questions should be surfaced for what articles. So that is um, your knowledge search where you need NLU NLP. Then there is the understanding of how different pieces of knowledge connect with each other. Uh, and that's another uh, you know, level of NLP. So for example, um, customers like you also have searched for, for this particular article mm -hmm. or um, customers uh, with, your, uh, with similar characteristics who looked at this article uh, also found this article helpful. Um, so all of these uh, pieces uh, start coming together with different um, Genesis uh, AI data pl platforms. So we use, we use search, we use um, topic clustering, we, we use um, sentence similarities, uh, also predictive engagement, uh, and then connecting all of these pieces with analytics. So now you know how the journey pieces are coming together uh, and sort of uh, providing an optimization uh, layer there. So saying there were all these um, questions that were unanswered um, and all of these unanswered questions are for this specific topic. So this is the topic that you need to address then, you know, going on the micro level and each, each question at a time. So these are the different layers um, or different areas in the journey that come together from an AI perspective. Nice. That's very and good. right. Yeah. Right so now, that training isn't really uh, 
linked or associated with what you're doing with your flows, your bot flows today. Um, you know, you train your intents pretty much like you do in most platforms. Um, but we do have an engine on top, like I mentioned before, that makes that decision. And you can influence a little bit today to say, you know, my knowledge is really good, focus there or not. And then on the back end, a lot of the analytics does overlap. You kind of see all the conversations coming in. Um, and then you can kind of go decide where to go improve things. And we really want to make that a much more seamless experience over time. You know, as an administrator of one of these things or a creator, you're we don't want you to have to think, I'm going to go improve my knowledge today. Tomorrow, I'll go work on my flows. You should just say, I want to improve my conversations, right? Wherever that, that happens to be, that's all good. Um, how can we help you find where to focus your time, where you're going to get the biggest, you know, bang for your buck um, as far as your effort. And so that kind of ties it all back together. But uh, yeah, today the training processes are a little bit, they're quite similar, but different. Mm, interesting. So, so when you have, you know, teams working on conversational assistance and bots and things like that, you've got a number of different roles in there. You've got designers, developers, perhaps some data scientists working on the ML side of things and the training. Uh, you may have some kind of AI ops people who might be doing some of the analysis and stuff like that. Uh, you might have some subject matter experts and, and whatnot. Um, so they would typically manage the sort of bot process. Then on the knowledge management side, you, you're going to need maybe, maybe different people, perhaps, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, because you need business information. Like I could be a conversation designer, not have a clue about the business, but still design a conversation with the help from someone who knows about the business. <laughs> and so the, the knowledge, you really need people who know the business inside out. And so is it the same people that would be working on the knowledge management and the, the conversational interfaces? And Because it seems as though there's a, a bit where they overlap on the, on the analysis point of view. I'm just trying to figure out if you can explain a little bit about what you've observed roles and responsibilities as far as the knowledge management side and also the conversational front end side and whether any of it overlaps. Mm -hmm. One place of overlap um, that I can see is, um, you know, the example that, that Mitch gave, it's the optimization and the analytics. Um, there is an overlap because um, the roles that look at self-service look at both um, you know, knowledge and would look at knowledge and, and bots um, together. Um, whereas I'm not sure uh, if Mitch, you found it different, but um, knowledge authors and content creators are uh, you know, one role, um, whereas the bot um, and conversational designers are another role. Mm -hmm. um, and the connection uh, between that um, is, is what we, we do at Genesis. And we try to make that as simple as possible um, so that you can, um, you don't have to, the conversational designer doesn't have to think about what the author is doing or the author doesn't have to think about how the conversation is designed. It's the system that makes that choice as to which way mm. to, to go. Mm. Is there any considerations then for the authoring of that knowledge content? Because, <clears throat> excuse me, you mentioned earlier on that it is all about, <coughs> excuse me, I obviously haven't fully recovered from last week. Um, you mentioned earlier on that it's 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 sometimes about creating um, the knowledge required to deliver a certain experience. And so if you're creating something for WhatsApp, the, the kind of content that you need for that 
is going to be different to the kind of content that you would need for a voice assistant. For example, Mitch, you said there, if it's full of images and stuff like that, it's probably not going to work very well. And so the, co- the, the kind of content and knowledge that you need may differ by channel. The content designer, the, the conversation designers who are working on the experiences for each individual channel, they'll be working on the tone of voice of the, of the assistant and, and the dialogue and stuff like that, the prompts. And the people who are creating the, the knowledge may not necessarily be aware of the channel of choice, so to speak, if that makes sense. So I'm wondering how, is there any best practice or insights in terms of, do you have a different approach to knowledge management if that knowledge is being used in specific channels? Or do you have more of an approach of let's create it and it's whatever we create is created in a shape of articles or whatever it might be. And we we distribute, we just, we, we signpost people to those kind of things. Like, is there any specific creation of certain types of knowledge management for specific channels, if that makes sense? Mm-hmm. Um, I would say uh, one of the things that, one of the concepts that we have, and you, ha- you sort of articulated the challenge really well. It is a challenge and, um, you know, it's not 100% solved for today because uh, um, the way enterprises use knowledge is very complex. Um, what we try to do is uh, we have a concept called variations. Um, so what variations uh, mean is that um, it's the same article. Uh, it's the same question or the same kind of uh, data science or algorithms that are trained for that article but you ha- introduce variations to optimize it um, for a specific uh, channel. Um, but this can be really tricky. Um, and, and the second thing is uh, you, you help uh, optimize that um, with, with um, sort of post-the-fact analytics, uh, letting you know what is working and what is not working. Uh, but it's tricky. If you have a lot of channels, if you have a lot of touch points um, and you want a lot of personalization based on the journey, um, then it has to be a combination of uh, we'll introduce variations, but we'll also create different knowledge bases, say based on a country or, <clears throat> or things like that. Um, it is That's where um, I would say a little bit of collaboration between um, a, con- a consumer of knowledge and the creator of knowledge would be required. Uh, but I would I would think of this as a very uh, big enterprise uh, challenge than um, you know small to medium uh, enterprise challenge. Mm. I, I think it's a similar challenge as you see with bots, where you know someone all of these things are really built on top of an API, right? So the data can same thing as the headless CMS. The data can be sent anywhere, build it once, deploy it in as many places as you want to. Um, and the more you you spend time and effort creating separate content for each channel, the obviously better and it's going to look and feel to the end to the end user who's reading it all. But usually the, the front ends, if it's, you know, a web messenger, if it's Facebook messenger, if it's Slack, if it's Teams, whatever it might be, they also have ways to make content look nice. Um, so how we try to help do that automatically and it, it it's not perfect it will never be perfect um it will always be better to do these things by hand but every day it gets closer and closer that the gains you get from doing it twice are smaller and smaller you know we want to help you we want to make those decisions for you automatically whether it's just by making sure the images render appropriately we cut off the content at a right place for someone to scan and then allow them to expand um 
you know, eventually there'll be things like summarization and changing the content per channel automatically. Each of those introduces some risk to changing it wrong, but also saves you a lot of time. So it, it's it's kind of a choice. And we want to give you the tools to make that choice for every response to say, this response is either not very frequent, so my lesser used channels just let it go and it, it is what it is, or this response is relatively basic, so it'll look fine. Um, or this one is super important to me. I'm going to spend the time making sure I have the right response for each channel with things like variations. Mm. Uh, so we kind of want to give you the tools, but also see how we can save you effort as much as possible. Mm. What role do you do you both think? I'd be interested to get both of your thoughts on this. What role do you think large language models and like transformer based NLU models and stuff like that would have in this area in future? Because if you imagine, um, I don't know, let's say a use case like you're a, you're an engineer and you you work on planes for example and you're going to go and service a plane or an engine or a car or, or whatever it might be there's manuals and manuals and manuals worth of knowledge that, that are needed in order to kind of mm. do that job and you could probably do something sensible with with some sort of knowledge management system that allows you to get to the right kind of place for the right piece of guidance that you need to do that task but if you can feed that whole thing into a, a large language model and just ask any query of it and have it not just pick out the, the well, one first step would actually be just pick out the segment within that article that is relevant, which you kind of alluded to a, a little bit there, Mitch. It sounds like it's all done a bit more manual now, which is show the most relevant pieces first so they can skim it and then allow them to elaborate. Whereas with large language models, you could, you could potentially in future ingest a whole bunch of data and have the uh, the AI itself, you know, parse content and not just like reproduce what you have, but also generate contextually relevant kind of information based on the source of truth. So I think I'm wondering whether you have, whether you've thought any any about how, kind of like the role that large language models might play in this kind of area. I think there will be a future where they become the norm. For example, in your aircraft example, like if you're if you have something on top that is going to spit out a summary of how to fix an engine, and if it even gets one thing wrong, that can be catastrophic, right? The whole plane could something very bad could happen there. So every time you introduce something like that, it it's going to in increase a, the risk a little bit that something goes wrong. So I think it's going to depend on you know what industry are you in. For example, if it's, you know, like in retail, there's a lot less risk in getting something wrong. Maybe you say the color of a shirt is the wrong color. Not a big deal. Um, in something like aircraft or healthcare, uh, even finance, right? Those risks carry a lot more weight. So you might want to hold off until the technology is absolutely perfect. Um, a lot of experiments have seen a, a lot of really huge gains, especially with like transformer-based models, like you mentioned. Um so there is there is clearly an end that is clearly where everything is going. I don't think it's there yet for that ease of use and that risk free consumption. I would say the other big part is the cost, right? Those types of models cost a lot more. They typically carry a, a lot more effort in the fine tuning. You know, you see people doing like one shot NLU It's just NLU where you just give it one or two utterances and it can do really well. Um, but it's not necessarily doing anything on the response side. So all those types of technology, that I, I think it's very clear we need to kind of master them and perfect them, make them easy to use is going to be another big part. 
right? Training and intent today, almost anyone can do it, to be honest. You mentioned you might have a data scientist earlier. And I think most most chatbot platforms, most knowledge platforms want to do away with that need. Um, you can just have any person come in and add some utterances. You get some guidance. You get some tools saying this is a good intent. This, this intent needs some work. And they're done. Uh, these new models, obviously, are going to have to rebuild all of that infrastructure around it to make the training fast, make the training simple, uh, give you guidance when when someone who might not have the skill set and the experience there to do that. Um, so that's that's a big part of it. And the last one that I've really seen come a long way in the last few years is the retraining cycle, right? There was a time where I think every company who was adopting these things was okay with a team of data scientists working on a model. They press retrain. They add two sentences, two new utterances to an intent, and it'll train for an hour, right? And they're like, yeah, that's the way it goes. No big deal. Uh, that doesn't really fly in today's market, right? If you can't retrain your model and this retrain the same model even, uh, in a matter, you know, 10, 20 seconds, people are going to go somewhere else because they, the accuracy you get from those heavier models, you might be able to squeeze out two to 5% more. Um, but the effort and the time and the headache involved just isn't worth it in a lot of cases. Um, aircraft maintenance would be one place that the headache is worth, right? Um, you need the, you need everything to be as perfect as possible. Uh, so I, I think it varies by industry and then each one is going to kind of make their own decisions on risk versus reward. Mm, interesting. What do you think, Hashali, or any other observations on the future of some of this stuff? I think the way Mitch articulated it, I would agree with that 100%. Um, one of the things that um, we cannot... Um, sort of overlook is um, the human supervision uh, when it comes to, you know, these models um, or the knowledge of um, how, like Mitch said, um, what is the risk involved? Um, there is definitely potential, but I would say um, if I were to think about something like this, I would definitely put in the supervision layer um, at different um, steps um, of that process, because um, it could be it could be incredibly powerful, but it could be incredibly hard to understand um, on on how the behavior um, could be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can imagine a situation where <clears throat> you're then at like the whole kind of risk thing. Who's accountable now? You know, the plane's on its way down because uh, the AI is telling the captain, well, the engineer, I told the engineer to screw it four full turns. It looks like he only screwed it three and a half. And it's like, you know, yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> um, interesting. Final, final kind of like to wrap up on it. We've mentioned quite a lot here about the importance of having a, a knowledge management strategy in the first place, various ways in which you can utilize this, this knowledge across the business and certainly in the conversational channels and different types of channels and, how the it's maintained and things like that, and then the future of it and where it's heading and stuff like that. We touched very briefly on analytics. I'm kind of just wanted to wrap up on that kind of analytics piece, which is um, I was thinking about a lot of these. You know, if you look at I don't know, like Intercom, Drift, and stuff like that, that have the help center knowledge articles, which are really valuable certain for certain use cases. And in order to gather feedback on those, they typically do this kind of like was this helpful kind of thing. Is that the same approach that you would recommend or is there any other ways that you can gather feedback in order to be able to optimize this stuff more effectively? Well, so there's one which is explicit feedback where you're explicitly asking whether something's gone right or wrong. 
Um, and then there is the other, which is implicit feedback, where you look at what actions um, the user is performing. So, for example, um, when an agent is using a knowledge article or uh, when a knowledge article is being used um, you know, by a customer, um, how much time did they uh, spend on, on that specific article? Uh, did an agent copy paste that specific article and attach it to the conversation? Uh, all of these are implicit indicators on whether something is working or not. Um, and uh, they might not be as valuable to take action um, in its singularity, but when they come together uh, in terms of volume, uh, there is a huge, huge uh, advantage of um, giving that feedback back to um, this admin or the supervisor who can then take action. Um, so analytics, um, as well as um, the op AI optimization capabilities, I would say, uh, is, a, is a bit of a gap in the market. Um, and that's where something um, you know, we want to focus on, especially because as Genesis, we we have that knowledge of, of the journey of the customer and the agent. Mm, nice. And final question, be nice to get both of your thoughts on this as well, is what's the most important piece of advice for businesses looking to kind of take advantage of the, this conversation that we've been talking about here, the most the, the most pertinent piece of advice of how to start getting your knowledge management in some kind of order, regardless of whether it's for conversational assistant consumption, that's part of it, but it's also, you know, there's whole, a whole kind of other benefits as well that come with it. So what, what are some of your kind of like, you know, top top tips for, for people who know they need to do this and maybe haven't gotten to it yet? Mm. I would say the first thing is don't treat knowledge um, as one and done or we'll do it once a year. Treat it as something that needs to be maintained um, and try to look for uh, tools or processes or individuals who can constantly um, keep that, that knowledge um, you know, updated uh, by making it easier to do. Um, for it to be scalable and to be sustainable. I think that would be my top tip because uh, as soon as that knowledge starts getting um, outdated, um, you know, you lose uh, that trust and that faith in that knowledge. Uh, and then eventually people stop using it. Uh, and then second would be use tools, use people, use tools. Don't put it all on the knowledge author or the creator, but also use it, um, use tools to get that feedback, implicit or explicit, uh, to help you uh, create more knowledge that is more relevant uh, and engaging, but also look at, you know, what's going wrong, wrong today. Um, mm. Yeah. Nice. What about you, Mitch? I would definitely agree with that second point that you should really see this as an opportunity to, learn a lot more about what your users are actually looking for. Every customer I've worked with on, on both bots and knowledge, really just finding new ways to surface content to customers. Like you don't realize how much you actually didn't know about what people were looking for, what they wanted to know, right? Your FAQ page just doesn't give you the same level of insight. So get excited about that opportunity to have your content in a way that you can surface it to a user that's exciting and fresh for them, but also learn about how they feel about it. What can you do to improve it and make, make everyone's life easier, right? If the customer comes away happier, the customer gets, you know, escalated in a more appropriate way. 
your agents have an easier time, your business is saving money, right? Everyone is winning in this equation. It's not like anyone is, is getting left behind. Um, mm. Everyone gets a much easier life and and day-to-day working with your company. Everyone's a winner like yeah. it. Um, and, and to benefit from the Genesis knowledge management um, and also the conversation AI capabilities, do you need to be a Genesis cloud customer? Are these individual capabilities that people can kind of procure on their own? Are they part of the kind of CCAS package? Like how would somebody engage with you to, to utilize this stuff from Genesis? Today it is part of the different Genesis cloud packages. It is. I, I do think one of the biggest values that Genesis provides is the way that it is embedded in really everything else about the platform we have tools that can cluster your intents and recommend new ones. It's called intent miner. And a lot of competitors and and other companies in the market do have that same feature, but you have to go get your chats from your agent platform, export it, massage it, clean it up, and then import it over here. And, And that's a very arduous process. Whereas because we do have that whole platform, it all comes together. A lot of these things, you know, get a little bit harder when you use them individually. So, I do really like that about Genesis and I, and I've worked on a couple of different conversational platforms. Um, but at the same time, that does mean these things are tied to each other. So at least today, um, we have goals and dreams of making it much easier to sign up and just get going and experiment. But today it is part of the larger Genesis cloud platform. Which makes sense. And especially for Genesis customers, it's kind of like, a, it's easier to just take a step you know, take a step into the, into this. And it's kind of like, doesn't feel as though they have to uproot their entire business and, and go through a big exercise and sort of thing. It's like becoming, I think the easiest way to get things adopted is to be the path of least resistance and to encourage baby steps and having a full platform that, that allows you to do the whole thing means that you can just take a bite whenever you can and take a step forward whenever you can. And if it's all integrated together, it makes the whole thing a lot smoother. Yep. Yep. That, that's really the goal and the focus right now. Like I said, in, in the future, we do have plans to make that process even easier for someone who might not be a customer to mm-hmm. see what the pieces are, to go experiment. And then, you know, assuming they like what they see, uh, make it official. Mm, nice. The intent minor solution would definitely be a good standalone product. I know Amazon and Google have got one. There's a couple of other companies that do that kind of thing, but you're right. It is a pain to get your transcripts, clean them up, get all the rubbish out of them. Uh, feed them in, and then once you've got the output, you've got a bunch of intents with a bunch of training data. What do you do with it then? You know, yep. and the, the other there's a lot of platforms that allow you to export into various different places, but most of them you kind of just need to download the data and find a way of re-importing it, and it's all a bit clunky. Yeah. So yeah. whether that's Genesis to solve that, or or someone else who might be tuning in can solve that, there's a big opportunity there. Um, so yeah, well, thank you both. Thank you for joining us. Hashali Mitch has been absolutely fantastic. I'll put the link to the, uh, Genesis website and Genesis cloud and all of those kind of things in the show notes, any other resources or links that you would uh, point people to, to learn a bit more. I think that's the best place to place to start on those pages. You'll see links to the Genesis community. Um, that's where we are. That's where customers interact. That's where everyone's, uh, having conversations about it all. So it's another great place to, uh, be part of the discussion. Perfect. I'll make a note of that. Fantastic. Ashali, Mitch has been absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much.
See you soon. And for those of you still tuning in, do check out the webinar that we're doing with Raza next week. It's all about chat optimization. It's going to be absolutely immense. And do get your tickets to the Voice Summit. VUX20 is the code to save 20% at voicesummit.ai to come and join us, presented by Corey I, VUX at Voice. It's going to be absolutely immense. And we'll see you there. Thank you again.